All right, Revelation chapter number three tonight. Uh, we are on our very last church, um, the church of Laodicea uh, tonight. And um, we are going to look at our passage here as soon as I find it. Here we go. Revelation chapter number three. Uh, we're going to start reading in verse number 14. And uh, this is the last of the seven churches tonight. And uh, next week we will jump into chapter number four, verse number one. The whole uh, uh, element and tide changes next Wednesday night. Uh, but tonight we're going to focus in once again on one last church. And uh, that's the church of Laodicea. Chapter number three, starting in verse number 14. The Bible says, And unto the angel of the church of, La- of the Laodiceans write, These things saith... Uh, The amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither hot or cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. What a great analogy. Because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have needed nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye slave, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, be zealous therefore, and, what's the next word? Repent. Repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and, I, and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. We have a lot to cover tonight, so we're going to jump right in uh, to the very top of your outline and uh, make our way down. The last of the seven letters is written to the church at Laodicea. Let's review the significance of these letters. First, like the other six churches, Laodicea was an actual local church at the time John wrote. We've been saying that about all the churches. Um, It was an actual local church at the time that John wrote the letter. Second, the letters to these seven churches have messages for all generations because they represent different kinds of churches. For example, there are churches today that have left their first love, and we talked about that with the church of what? Ephesus, that's right, they left their first love. Uh, There are churches today that seem to be alive but are dead, like the church where? At Sardis. And other churches are very uh, uh, evangelistic, like the church that we talked about last week, which was what? Philadelphia, good. Uh, These seven churches were chosen by our Lord because in them were characteristics that would be prevalent in churches throughout history. And so as we've looked at these seven churches, or six plus one tonight, we have been able to see how it relates to churches even today uh, that we can associate with, that we find ourselves. And then we hit the Laodicean church that the Bible says is neither hot nor cold. It's lukewarm, and it was so bad that he was going to spew them out of his mouth. It's like if I could use the example of, of drinking a cup of coffee, uh, which I don't do because I'm spiritual. Um, I'm kidding. That was a joke. Ha ha. You ready? I got some of you looking at me going, what did he just say? Um, I had somebody tell me one time, I told them I didn't drink coffee. They told me it's because I wasn't old enough. We'll leave that one there. All right. Um, 
These seven churches, so, so we think about a cup of coffee. You know, you get that cup of coffee and it's nice and hot and you drink it. How many of you, any of you like, now, now I'm not talking about like made cold coffees, but you like to drink your coffee cold. Anybody like to do that? Wow. You have to be under the age of 20 to make that happen, don't you? Or 25. Um, and, and so you pick up that cup of coffee and if it's not hot, you take that first drink and if it doesn't taste right, it's almost like you just want to go you know, and that's exactly what God is talking about. It's neither hot nor cold. He wanted to spew them out of his mouth. And we look at churches today, and uh, unfortunately, we find this type of church in many different places. They are neither hot nor they're cold. They're neither, they're, they're, they've decided that they're not going to be spiritually uh, progressive. They're not going to move forward with their spiritual walk with Christ. They're satisfied exactly where they are. If I could put it to you like this, it's almost, and we can say the same thing about Christians, it's almost like they've hit a stagnant place in their lives. And so they're neither hot nor they're cold. They're just satisfied with where they're at. And the Bible says that, he, that God would have us to either be hot or either be cold and not to be that person that's right in the middle. However, the seven churches, this is very interesting. It seems Laodicea was the worst. And the reason is, is because the Lord has not one good word to say about it. Wow. There, there is no... Uh, there, there is nothing good to say about someone or a church that is neither hot nor cold. And so we're going to look at the church of Laodicea tonight. Number one, as we've done many times before, the city. The city. Let's talk about the city of, uh, of where, Laodicea, where the church of Laodicea was. Laodicea was about 45 miles southeast of Philadelphia and almost 100 miles east of Ephesus. It was a very wealthy city with extensive banking operations and was famous for a uh, type of black, glossy, the next word is wool, wool, which had contributed to its wealth. So it had extensive banking operations um, and it had a very particular famous type of black, glossy wool that you could only get um, at Laodicea. Laodicea also had a famous school of medicine known for an eye ointment called, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly or not. Does anybody know exactly how to pronounce that word? Okay. I, I didn't know if it was still a medical... Phrygian. There we go. Power that was supposed to cure eye problems. This city was so wealthy that when it was destroyed by an earthquake in 17 AD, it refused imperial aid for rebuilding and did it entirely of its own, uh, on its own. And so it, it was wealthy. It had, it had the wool and it had this eye ointment in which they were famous for. And because of that, uh, uh, the wealth was very uh, prominent in Laodicea. But as we know, the Bible says the love of money is what? The root of all evil. Now, I did not say that money is the root of all evil. Did you catch that? It says the what? The love of it. There's a huge difference between having money and loving money. And the church of Laodicea, they found themselves uh, being, being equipped and have everything that they needed financially. And because they had everything they needed financially, they had no need for God. And it's a very dangerous place to be. Secondly of all, the commendation. 
the commendation. We're, we're going to kind of breeze through these first couple of points. Uh, the commendation. Of course, there was no, that's the word there, no word of commendation uh, for the church at Laodicea. There was no word of commendation to the church of Laodicea. God had nothing good to say about them. Number three, the condemnation. The condemnation. Chapter number three, verse number 15. He says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold or hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Jesus, God was saying, listen, there is a lot of condemnation. There is a lot that I have to condemn you for because you have found your, yourself in a place where going to church and, and having rituals is something that you do every single week of your life. But yet you have, no, uh, you have no desire to sell yourself out to me. You have no desire to give your life to me. You have no desire to serve me. And I, and I would say that we have to be very cautious in our own society that church does not become ritualistic. That church does not become just something that we do on Sunday morning and Wednesday nights because we're afraid if we don't show up the preacher's going to call. Or we do it just because we want to see our friends or just because we feel like it's something that we should do. Church should never become ritualistic. Church should be something that when we come to it, we are desiring that God speaks to us. We are desiring that God shows us something in our lives that we can improve upon or that we can learn or or that we can understand that he has for us. And the church of Laodicea, It had become something that was just ritualistic, something that just was uh, something that they did. And and God was certainly not in the midst of it. As for the other churches, Christ says, I know thy works. Now, in all the previous um, statements, he was talking about their good works that he was going to commend. However, they had no good works to commend. They only had sin to condemn. They only had sin to condemn. There were no good works. Christ says of this church that thou art neither cold nor hot. Based on the context of verses 15 and 16 in this letter, this phrase seems to refer to people in the church who had some degree of interest in the things of God, who went to church and who professed to be Christians. They were not immoral or worldly, worldly in the sense they were totally unconcerned, and, and they, were, they were not totally unconcerned about Christ, yet they could not be called spiritual because they apparently had never opened the doors of their heart to let him in. Now, l- let me explain this to you real fast because I think it's very important that we understand this. There is a difference between knowing who God is and knowing God. Are you with me? There is a huge difference from knowing that, yes, there's a God. Yes, uh, uh, there's, there's a man who said he was good, that they put on a cross and he died. And history tells us that he rose again and now he uh, lives in heaven somewhere. And I understand all of that. And you know about God. But there's a huge difference in knowing about God and having a relationship with him. And I think this is the cautionary fact what the church of Laodicea was doing. They understood who God was. 
They understood that going to church was a good thing. And as a matter of fact, they worked towards doing all that. They understood that funding the church was important, so they funded the church. But they had never opened up their heart to God. They had never made it personal. And I'm afraid, and I I say this with all caution, but I'm very afraid that we have people that are attending churches all across our nation that are walking in and they're falsely deceived because no one is telling them that it's not what you know, it's who you know. It's not that you have a knowledge of who God is. It's that there's been a moment in your life where you have taken what you know and you've applied it. I went to Bible college. Uh, I, went, I, went, I crammed uh, four years into five. <laughs> Gonna let that one roll just for a moment. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there and, and, and we're learning all this stuff. We're learning it. We're learning it. And I'm sitting there in these classes, and I'm learning it, and I'm learning it, and I'm thinking, this is great. But you know what? And still I stepped out of that classroom and stepped into a role of being a pastor, I never understood why I needed to know the things that I knew. Are you with me? But once I stepped out of that zone into the place where I could apply the knowledge that I have, it changed what I knew. Because now I got excuse me, now I could apply it. When it comes to God, we have people that are in churches and they're hearing about God and they're hearing God is a wonderful person and and God loves you and all that kind of stuff. And you know what? All that's true. But we also have a just God. We also have a God who sent his only son to die on the cross, to die on the cross for our sin. Not so that we could say, Wow, he died for us. No. For us to say, he died for me, and now I'm going to invite him into relationship with me. There's a huge, huge difference. And that's where the church of Laodicea was. They were self-deceived. They were self-deceived. They had deceived them on their own selves. Into thinking, we have it all under control. We have all the knowledge that we need. And God says, no. No, no, no. It's not about the knowledge. It's about the application. No one is harder to reach for Christ than a person who is moral or just religious enough to go to church. But is so good that they do not see their need for Christ. Well, I tell you, I've been in ministry. um, Let's see here. I've been in ministry now for almost 16 years, full-time ministry. And as I talk to people, I tell people, listen, they'll say, Pastor, I don't, I don't need God. Or, or Pastor, I, I have everything that I I'm a good person. I, 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 I give my this and I give that and I, 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 don't, I don't do things that I shouldn't do. And, and all these, I, I do it all right. Why do I need to invite Jesus into my heart? I'm doing what is right. Let me tell you, those are the hardest people to reach, to convince someone that they're a sinner, to convince someone that they need a savior. Can I tell you something? If you're under my voice tonight, every person that's ever been born into this world was born a sinner, and they need a savior. They need Christ. Christ not only condemns the Laodicean church for its lukewarmness, but also for being self-deceived. 
Their material wealth had caused them to deceive, them, deceive themselves into believing they were spiritually rich as well. Here we clearly see our Lord's condemnation did not refer simply to spiritual laxity, but to spiritual destitution before God. This church is the complete opposite of the church at Smyrna that we studied earlier. Chapter number 2 and verse number 9, if we remember the church at Smyrna, the Bible says this. I know thy works in tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. Remember, they were being persecuted and they had nothing. And this church had everything. And they were making no sacrifices for God at all. Number four, the command. God gave a specific command to the church at Laodicea. And I believe with all my heart, this is the same command he's giving to us today as churches. That we do not become self-deceived. That we do not become uh, just something that we do. But it's something that is applicable to our lives. The commands of Christ uh, correspond precisely to the self-deception of the Laodiceans. First the Lord says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich. That's in verse number 18. The verb buy is reminiscent of an Old Testament invitation in the book of Isaiah. So, here we have a rich church. Here we have, they have everything that they need. And God is trying to figure out, or Jesus is trying to figure out, how can he relate with the church? How can he make them understand what he wants them to know? So this is what he says first. He says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold, tried in the fire, that thou mayest be what? Rich. So I can imagine that when God began to apply this, the church began to pay attention. They're like, hey, we want to be rich. We thought we were rich, but you're telling us we're not rich and we want to be rich. So how do we do that? Well, they go back to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter number 55. It says, ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye, what does he say? Buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Look what it says in verse number three. Incline your ear, and come unto me here, and your soul shall live. And then he says this. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. You say, Pastor, what does that mean? It was an invitation that Isaiah was speaking to the people of God, saying, listen, you, everything that you could ever need, everything that you could ever want, everything that you could ever have, God already has it. And so you just have to come and receive it. God has everything that we need. And that's what he was trying to teach the church at Laodicea. Listen, God has what we need. He has what we need. He doesn't need our wealth. Did you hear that? God doesn't need our money. God doesn't need us. God chooses to use us. And because we're willing to be used, he blesses us. There's a huge difference. And the church at Laodicea was trying to understand that. The phrase, gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, refers to the true wealth believers have in Christ. Can I tell you tonight, we are rich in Christ. Are you, are you with me tonight? We are rich in Christ. We really are. And I want us to see that tonight by looking at a few passages. I wrote the, the passages down in your notes, but I want to share, share them with you. 
we really are rich in Christ. You, you may have walked in here tonight and you said, Pastor, I have nothing. Uh, you know, we struggle sometimes financially. We struggle sometimes physically. We struggle sometimes spiritually. We struggle sometimes emotionally. And we wonder if we have anything. Well, God tells us that we are rich if we are Christians. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 7. In whom we have redemption through what? Let's try that again. In whom we have redemption through what? His blood, the forgiveness of sin, according to the riches of his grace. The riches of his grace. We have a, a, a richness about us because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 7, the Bible says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. The Bible goes on to tell us in Philippians 4, 19, but my God shall supply some of your need. All. I looked up that Greek word, all, in the Bible. Do you know what it means? It means all. And then I looked it up in the Hebrew, and you know what it meant? All. And then I looked it up in a couple other different languages, and they all mean all. And in some of them, they mean capital A-L-L, all. But my God shall supply all your need. How can he do that? According to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Let me explain something to you this evening that maybe you don't know. You probably, most of you do, but maybe I can help you with just a moment. Did you know if you are saved here tonight, and you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, you are a child of God? Right? As a matter of fact, the Bible takes it a little bit further. He says that we're adopted. That's very interesting. I don't know if you know this about adoption, but if you adopt a child into your family, they become a greater heir than children that are born into your family. You know why? Because those that are born into your family are not chosen. Those that are adopted into the family are chosen. Hang on, because I'm not a running Baptist, but it's about to happen, all right? (laughs) So if I'm adopted into the family of God... And then the Bible goes on to tell me something else that's even more exciting. He says that I'm heir and joint heir. Now, why would he say heir and joint heir? An heir is good enough, right? But how did I become a joint heir? You see, because when I was adopted into the family of God, I became an heir, when I actually go to heaven and become like Christ, I, became, I become a joint heir. Which means that I have all the rights and privileges of everything that God has. Yeah. Yeah. So what do we have, Pastor? My God shall supply all of your need according to his riches. You have access to everything that he has. But wait a minute. For your need. Did you see that? It's for your need. And that's where we kind of get the waters muddied a little bit. We all have wants. But God didn't say he would supply our wants. He said that he would give us and supply our needs. But here's the great thing. 
God is our what? He's our father, right? Matter of fact, the Bible tells us that we can call him Abba Father. That's right. You know what Abba Father means? It means Papa or Daddy. It's a great term. Abba Father. You know, I'm a dad. I have three sons. And every night we sit down and we have a meal together. And uh, they go off to school and mom packs the lunch. And, and uh, they, they wake up in the morning and they get clothes on their bodies. They have everything that they need. But a couple of weeks ago, the mail came. And inside of the mail, there was a magazine. And on the outside of the magazine, it said, Toys Are Us. When that magazine arrived at my home, my children knew something was about to happen. It's Christmas time, Daddy. That's right, it's Christmas time. And so they take that magazine and it beca- it's become this family event. They all get a pen or a marker or a highlighter or all the above. And they start going through the pages of the Toys R Us magazine And now they've gotten old enough where they can put their initial. Now my Matt Naya, his goes all over the page, you know. But they can put their initial on what they want. And when they're all done, they'll come to me and they'll say, Daddy, we're done. Can we have everything that we circled? And you know, come Christmas Day, we'll wake up and there'll be some wants. Around the tree. Are you with me? You know, every once in a while, I believe God looks down from heaven and says, Hey, Mike, you're doing a great job. You know that want that you wanted? There you go. And he gives us what I like to call a God wink. He just kind of says, Gotcha. Gotcha. There you go. I got a want. And then we can stop, or at least we should, and say, God, thank you for supplying my need. But boy, thank you for blessing me with my want. Because God has promised that he'll do that for us. Matter of fact, he tells us that he'll open up the windows of heaven and pour out the blessings. What a great thought. Colossians 1.27, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. What's the mystery? It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. We are rich people tonight. Also, the Lord commands the Laodiceans to buy white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. This is very interesting because the Laodiceans were very, uh, dressed very well, especially with the wool that they had. They were world famous for their fine clothes, especially those made of that. <coughs> I apologize for my voice. The glossy black wool. However, even dressed in the finest clothing or robes, they were naked before the Lord. And why is that? We studied this a couple weeks ago. Revelation chapter number 19. It says, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in what? Fine linen, clean and white. It's interesting to note that the Laodicean church there, what they were known for was what kind of linen? Black. And the kind of linen that Christ wants us to be in is white. 
For the fine linen is what? The righteousness of the saints. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. The representation of the righteousness of God is white. The Laodicea was also famous for its special eye ointment that was supposed to cure vision problems. Jesus said they need to allow him to anoint thine eyes with eye slave that thou mayest see. This is a very very interesting passage of scripture and I wish I had the time because I could spend the next hour about this but you need to go home and study it there was a man in the Bible who was blind as there was a few of them actually and um, one of the men in the Bible the Bible says that God spit what remember he spit the dirt of the clay and what did he do with it he made mud and what do you do with that put it on the eyes the Bible says that what happened to the man's eyes? He could see the scales fell off of them, the Bible says. If you correlate in the Greek that mud to what Jesus talks about in Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 18 with the eye slave, Jesus is telling them they need to put it on so that the scales will fall off. So that the scales will fall off their eyes. Because see, they were, they were not seeing as what God wanted them to see. They were not seeing through God's eyes. They were seeing through their own eyes. And God said, we, needed, we need to put this ointment on our eyes, on their eyes, that thou mayest see. Only the great physician can apply the spiritual eye slave that can make the spiritually blind be able to see. Christ's last command to the church is found in chapter 3, verse number 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and what's the next word? Repent. Repent. So what is the spectrum of Christ's love and his rebuke? We have a God that loves us, but he also rebukes us. He chastens us. The Bible says that, that whom the Lord loveth, he what? Chasteneth. The Bible says... That, uh, that the word of God uh, is given for, it's given for reproof, it's given for doctrine, it's given for correction. He, he, he tells us that, that the reason is, 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 is chastisement or punishment, I don't even like to use that word, discipline in our lives to get us to where we need to be. We serve a God of love and we serve a God of rebuke. When we get out of line, we know that we're Christians because God tries to put us back into line. Just like my children. My children are get out of line every once in a while. I have to encourage them. Right? To get back in line. That encouragement comes a lot of different ways. As does punishment with Christ. We have to get us back in line. What does the Bible say? John chapter number 16. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. We serve a God of love and a God of rebuke. He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. After the command, Christ offers one of the most beautiful and simplistic invitations in the Bible. Now, I really want you to get this as we kind of corner in here. He says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. Now, I want you to see something tonight, church. Church. 
because I really want you to get this. Do you see all that the Lord condemned them for? Do you see all that they did wrong? Everything that God had nothing even good to say about them. And yet, God tells them, you are not out of the reach of my grace. I have never met a person that is alive that has been out of the reach of the grace of God. Because, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. This is the most wonderful invitation <clears throat> that has ever been given in the word of God. That Jesus says, I am waiting for you to open the door. I'm waiting for you to open the door. We have a, um, uh, a West Highland Terrier, a little dog. And uh, his name is Lucky. And uh, Lucky is a great lap dog. He loves my kids. They hang out. They pet. All that good stuff. He's good with it all. But if he looks outside and somebody's walking around, you would think that he was a German shepherd. Because he's got a bark like you would not believe. If you've been to my house, you know that. He has got a bark. I mean, it's a huge bark for this little dog. So we're sitting in the house and minding our own business, paying attention to everything. And then this bark starts because there's a UPS driver outside or, or something. And it startles us every time. I almost believe with all my heart that that feeling that you get when you get startled is the exact same feeling that people feel when they know they need Jesus. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And all he's waiting is for you to hear his voice and allow him to come in. Because he wants to come in. And he wants to sup with you and be with you. The door obviously refers to the door of our heart. Though the message was given to the church as a whole, the response is to be on an individual basis. For Christ says, if any man. The English artist Holman Hunt painted a picture that expresses visually what Jesus is saying in verse 20. One of the most famous paintings in the world, it's called Jesus, the Light of the World. It pictures Jesus standing, knocking on a door and holding a light or a lamp in the other hand. When Hunt painted the picture, he invited the artist, his friends, to criticize it. One of them said to Holman, you have left off the latch. Mr. Hunt replied, this is not an ordinary door. This is the picture of the human heart and Christ knocking for admission. The latch is on the inside. The picture that you're seeing as you turn your paper over is that picture rendered, which is right here on our screen. Jesus standing at the door with a light in one hand, knocking on the door with no latch. It is literally an invitation for us to invite him in. He cannot force himself in. We have to open the door. We have to say yes.
to the unrepentant churchgoers in Laodicea and to all individuals today, Jesus is standing and knocking for admittance. If one will open the door of his heart, Christ says, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. The Greek word translated sup literally means to dine. It refers to the evening meal, which was the main meal of the day, when all the laborers for the day were complete and everyone could sit around the table in fellowship. The promise then is one of intimate, divine fellowship with Christ. To come in and sup with him. Number five, the comfort, and I'm done. The comfort. What's the comfort here, Pastor? The comfort is sharing in Christ's reign in his coming kingdom. Verse number 21. Let's look at it together. <clears throat> the Bible says, He that hath an ear, or excuse me, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. The seven letters all close with the same words of exhortation. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. When something is repeated seven times in the Bible, it must be of utmost importance. Would you not agree? Do you know tonight that exactly is exactly the same invitation as he gave to the church of Laodicea? He says, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. What is the Spirit saying, Pastor? The Spirit is saying, if you'll just open the door, I'll come in and sup with you and dine with you. He's saying, hey, listen, uh, 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 it's time that we, we no longer allow church to be a game. It's no longer that we allow church to be a ritual. It's no longer that we allow our lives to be deceived and we're deceiving our own selves. It's time that we, we take it to another level. It's time that we, we amp it up a little bit and realize that Jesus is who he says he is. When he says, I am the way. When he says, I am the truth. And he says, I am the life. And we look back on all the other churches and we find ourselves maybe somewhere in the midst of them. In this letter, Christ says to all who will listen, behold, I stand at the door and knock. On the back of your outline, I just want to show this to you. This is kind of a summary of what we've studied so far. The letters to the seven churches. We're just going to look at this for just a moment and, and then we'll be done. The church at Ephesus, they did not tolerate those who were evil, who they had practiced and worked hard. They, they had left their first love, though. What did God tell them to do? To remember and repent. And what was their comfort? Overcomers will eat of the tree of life. And then he talks about Smyrna and during the suffering. And he tells them to be faithful unto death. The church at Pergamos had been faithful to Christ and had not denied the faith. However, they had compromised with the doctrine of Balaam and the Nicolaitans. What did he tell them to do? Repent. Thyatira, they loved. They were, they, were, they, they were good with love and service and faith and patience and works. But they were condemned because they tolerated Jezebel and her teaching and immorality. What did God tell them to do? Repent. Sardis, some had not filled their garments. Or excuse me, some had not filled their garments. Listen to me. Not defiled their garments. They had a reputation for being alive, but they were dead. What did God tell them to do? He told them to wake up. He told them to wake up and strengthen what remains and remember what was received and heard. The church at Philadelphia had kept Christ's words and not denied his name and were patient. What did God tell them? Hold fast to what they have. 
And then our church at Laodicea, God had nothing good to say about them. They were lukewarm. They were lukewarm. They were wretched. They were poor. They were blind. They were naked. The command was to buy from Christ gold, white clothes, I slave, and then what? Repent. There seems to be a pattern here. When people are doing the opposite of what God has asked or called them to do, what does he tell them to do? Repent. Repentance starts with us repenting of our sin and asking Christ to be our Savior and no longer allowing it to be head knowledge, but allowing it to move to our heart. And then when we mess up and we do things that are contrary to the word of God, it's time for us to repent again and get back in fellowship with him. I hope that through the last few weeks as we've studied the churches, that you were encouraged and that you were strengthened, but also that maybe you found yourself in one of these places and God has helped you to move past it and helped you to find your place and where you need to be in your Christian walk and in your Christian life. Next week, we're in chapter number four and verse number one. Let me just kind of give you a teaser. This is what it says. After this, I looked. After what? After the church age. See, we've just examined the church age. After this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee the things which must be hereafter. What happened? The church age ended. The rapture happened. Come up hither. And then, after you get up here, I'll show you the things hereafter. And boy, there's a lot of things to be shown. And all I know to say is this. That I'm thankful tonight that I'm a child of the one true king. Because all the things hereafter, I don't want to be thereafter for. Because see, we serve a God of love. We serve a God of grace. We serve a God of, that's just. But we also serve a God that is righteous. And we serve a God whose grace will eventually run out on mankind. And I would dare say this, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to, to in any way put fear in anyone's lives or anything like that. That's, that's definitely not where I'm at. But I would dare say that we're getting close. We're getting close. And we need to do two things. One, we need to assure ourselves with God that we have that relationship that he desires with us. And two, that we're looking for his appearing. We're looking for it. You say, Pastor, what does that mean to look for his appearing? It simply means this, that we're busy doing the work of God, believing that he's on his way. Believing that he's on his way. So that's our encouragement tonight. Any thoughts? Any questions? All right, good. Well, let's pray, and uh, we'll be on our way. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for the word of God. Thank you for 
helping us to understand more about what you have for us. Lord, I just pray that we'll be encouraged tonight and strengthened. Or most of all, I pray if there's one here that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, that you're standing at the door and knocking. Lord, I pray that tonight they'll open up that door. And Lord, see their need for salvation. Lord, because you are who you say you are. And Lord, that we don't allow it just to be in our head, that we allow it to be in our heart. Lord, because that's where it takes hold. Lord, we love you. Give us a great rest of the week. We look forward to worshiping you again on Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful rest of your week.